0: about how and why and when uh, to worship God. It's, uh, it's a psalm about how to worship God when you're feeling alone, when you're feeling deserted. And I hope it will be, um, it'll be helpful uh, to us all. So if we note from the in the introduction, my soul thirst for you, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So this sets the context as to uh, when, when, this was, uh, when this psalm was, um, was written. And uh, it was written when, psalm, uh, when, when David was being pursued by Absalom, uh, as he was pursued many early, years early, earlier by, by Saul. And it was obviously a, a very uh, difficult, challenging, perplexing uh, time for him. He was in the wilderness of Judah. And as, as such, he had to learn to put into effect... The lessons about worship, maybe I had to learn them for the first time, I don't know. But you had to put into, into practice lessons about uh, how and when to worship God when things are not going well. So to see uh, the context for this, if we i um, will just read a couple of um, verses from uh, the second book of Samuel to Samuel 15, verses 13 and 14, and also verse 23 of uh, 2 Samuel 15, which I believe gives us the the setting, the context for for when this uh, psalm was written. And the messenger, so verse 13 of 2 2 Samuel 15, and the messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And then down to verse 23 of the same chapter. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed (coughs) by, and the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. So he was a fugitive, from Absalom, it was civil war, and he was fleeing from him as, as he had from Saul. He's alone and thrown entirely on God's mercy and grace uh, when, when he writes this. So we can understand then that when he says, Oh God, you are my God, that is very much the foundation for this uh, whole psalm. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. This is the whole foundation for the, for the psalm. And God, and his relationship with God, is the rock under the quicksand of his emotions. And he, he, he prays not that uh, his circumstances might change, but he prays that his character and his dependence, and his relationship with God would uh, come to him and Uh, Be his his hope that God will be there for him, and he evokes the covenant relationship which God has with His people. You are my God. You needn't turn it up, but I will just read Genesis chapter 17, verse verse seven, where we read God says, "And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations." For an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So you can understand then that you are my God, that this is the the foundation of his relationship, Um, it's the foundation of the whole psalm, it's the rock under the quicksand of his emotions, the rock under the quicksand of his situation, his circumstances in which he finds himself. So he calls upon God to satisfy his thirst, to slake his thirst. And to to sustain him when nothing else can or will. Literally because he is in the desert. Um, And also in many other ways, uh, he is alone, he is pursued. uh, He has nothing else or no one else to call upon other than God. And as I say, he, he calls upon the covenant relationship which God has established with his people. And it's a covenant relationship which we today uh, if we're saved, that we also can call upon. And it, we should ask ourselves is it a covenant relationship that we also enjoy uh, as God's people? Uh, the covenant relationship applies equally to, to us, sealed afresh by the death and resurrection of Christ. Do we rely upon things around us? Do we rely upon created things? Do we rely upon circumstances? Do we rely upon relationships and other sources? To sustain us and to give us our joy, or do we do we rely upon God alone? For uh, an idea of this, just to describe it in a bit, uh, another way, I'll um, just read out a short section from the personal narrative of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, um, as many of you uh, many of us will know, was uh, an American um, preacher, uh, copious writer in 18th century. Um, and um, witness marvellous revival of God's power. Uh, and he writes, or he wrote, uh, it was over by 19 at the time, um, 1723, uh, he wrote, I made a solemn declaration, solemn, I made a solemn dedication of myself to God and wrote it down, giving up myself and all that I had to God to be for the future in no respect my own to act as one that had no right to himself in any respect and solemnly vowed to take God for my whole portion and felicity or pleasure, looking on nothing else as any part of my happiness, nor acting as if it were, and his law for the constant rule of my obedience, engaging to fight against the world, the flesh and the devil to the end of my life. So there was as a Young man, Jonathan Edwards, putting into words what this covenant relationship uh, meant for him, and it, it's one that you know we should uh, emulate ourselves—not um, just to emulate Jonathan Edwards, um, but to, to strive to be Christ-like and to and to have that transparency of relationship with God and to rely upon Him for all things. And we can see, um, as the psalm unfolds, that this is what uh, this is what David is doing here. This is what he's talking about. This covenant relationship with God, coming sharply into focus as he finds himself being pursued across the desert by his rebellious family. So, as the psalm falls, we see worship both as thirsting and also as feasting. Two sides of the same coin, and that's the two main point points uh, of this of this talk. And it's important that, uh, as believers, we can respond. To God in both ways. Both when times are difficult. When we're thirsting. And also when our needs. When we're feeling our needs being satisfied. When we're feasting. One isn't better than the other. One isn't to be avoided. uh, And the other uh, embraced. Uh, Both are to be. um, Recognised. As as, as, uh, honouring ways. To worship God. He is savoured equally by us. When we both. Uh, thirst for him, and feel the need of him, and when we are satisfied, very different sensations, perhaps very different uh, times for us, um, in both of those. But uh, it's it's important that we recognise that these are two important and equally uh, valid uh, aspects to our worship for God. David knew this, and we should learn it, even though our circumstances uh, are probably very different from his. So. God is our desire. I'll just reread the first four verses of uh, Psalm 63. O regard you O my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My soul faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I lo- have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So the vision of God to David at this time is unclear. He gropes for it, he, f- he faints for it, he thirsts for it, he longs for it, for this vision of God. It's like yearning and longing for a long lost friend. So he's in the wilderness and yet his worshipping God. And in many ways we also as believers need wilderness experiences. We may not enjoy them, we don't look for them. Um, But wilderness experiences will come our way, and we should embrace them as such, and look for the opportunity to worship God in them. Uh, We shouldn't have just paradise. (laughs) Uh, We we need to have uh, desert experiences too. We need to know what it is like to hunger and to thirst for God and to faint in longing for him. We need to feel disenchanted and dissatisfied with this world and its offer and and its appeal. We need to know and to feel that God's steadfast love is better than life. Uh, This is to feast and to delight in God. And it leads into God as our delight, uh, which is the second main point. The first point is quite quick, the second point I'll spend a bit longer on. God as our delight. And um, we'll have flashbacks to the first four verses. Um, But God as our delight, I'll read the verses five to eight, where... Uh, David writes, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So I move from God as our desire to God as our delight, from longing for God to being satisfied by God quite quickly just to sort of show the The contrast between the two, so we can see uh, these two sides of the same coin. Um, So, verse five is a complete contrast to the to the first four verses, as 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 David kind of as his understanding uh, increases about um, his his circumstances, but more importantly, the nature of his relationship covenant relationship with God. Then he he can say, "But my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food." And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. It's a contrast from hunger to being full, to being filled us with fat and rich food. We know what a, a fat and rich dinner feels like, don't we? It's very satisfying, it tastes very nice. Um, sometimes we might eat success, that's um, <laughs> to be avoided. Um, but uh, we know what it's like to be satisfied with fat and rich food, a really good dinner, thinking the diet starts tomorrow. Um, but um, this, is, this is the contrast which, which, which David is, uh, is making as, as his understanding uh, you know, kind of um, improves as he goes along through the verse. The vision of God is now becoming uh, more into focus. It's clear and it's present and he can uh, eat and enjoy with satisfaction as should we. As I say, we, we instinctively prefer this type of worship of God when we're feeling satisfied and full. Um, and we're delighted, perhaps more than we're desiring and feeling hungry and thirsting for God. But it's very important that we do have both types of experience, that we can worship God in both ways. It's only really when we've had the, the desert and the longing that we can fully appreciate the satisfaction and the delight. And both are equally precious in God's sight when we can worship God uh, under both sorts of circumstances, under both sorts of emotions, under both sorts of situations that we find ourselves in. Um, and, and we can appreciate more the delight and, the, and being filled, having longed and being hungry. Um, because both please God. Both types of worship are pleasing to God. On a completely different level, much more sort of a human dad sort of level, I've actually kept something almost 20 years which one of the children wrote for me, and despite house moves and clearances and all sort of stuff, I've still hung on to this. Um, I won't tell you which one it was. Um, but they wrote, Dear Daddy, I miss you very much when you go to work, so I decided to send you this. And there's like a little pattern and PTO, and on the back it's butterflies and trees and stars and things like that. Uh, for you, Daddy. Okay, so and, and this was hidden away in my briefcase uh, one, <laughs> one day. Um, as I was heading off yet another business trip, and I, I sort of found it a little, you know, later. I put the date on. It was maybe twenty years ago. <laughs> I won't tell you whether it was Paul or Naomi, um, but um, it was delightful, you know, to, to, to find it, and you and you sort of look back and you think, well, that's really nice, yes. Yeah, so, you know, it's nice to feel missed. <laughs> it's nice to feel missed, and in a, in a sense, that's 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 how God wants us to be—to to to miss Him when we, when He's missing one more for our lives or when we're feeling you know down or in a desert as David was clearly a completely different you know this is just a little humble illustration i've just given you there but but you know it's it's pleasing to god when we can miss him and worship him you know when we can worship him when when we feel that he's not present and that's how god is with us so i've just given a little human illustration there of something much more eternal and divine about um, they need to kind of miss God when, when uh, we're down. And so we can only, as I say, really appreciate the hunger that we spoke of in the first four verses. When, well, sorry, I can only really appreciate the, the fulfilment in in, this, in verses five to five to eight, when we felt the hunger and the desire and the missing hole uh, in our souls in the first, as as David did in the first few verses of the psalm. So we should give thanks to God, not not just for his gifts, life and health and home and family and work and employment, which we can do without necessarily loving God. We can thank God for gifts without loving him um, or without savouring him. But what he wants us to do is to savour him and to give thanks to him and to long for him rather than for the gifts which he gives us. And we should give thanks to God above all for the cross uh, on which the boundless mercy and grace of the Godhead is shown. The son giving himself up as part of the divine plan, the pleasure which his father had in that, being raised and the Holy Spirit coming into the lives of believers. This is the greatest gift. And this is what God wants us to thank him for now, as well as all the other good things that he gives us. So, thinking now about the next few verses, but those, so starting from verse 9 of Psalm 63, God is our defense. Verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So here we read as God is our defense. Foes and enemies are never far away uh, in the Psalms. And now they're in full view as Absalom uh, seeks David and is chasing him across the desert. And uh, he says, but those who destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. So he is, he's thinking more about uh, God as his defender and reminds himself that the steadfast love of God demands justice. Just flip back to verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Yeah, the steadfast love demands justice. If you go back to Psalm 62, verse 12. I need to at this point, I a copy of it on my iPad. <laughs> Just look it up. It says Psalm 62. Uh, verse twelve, and to and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man, according to his work. If we go back to verse eleven of Psalm sixty-two, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this: that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man, according to his work. So, in the preceding psalm, he's linking the steadfast love of God, to rendering to a man according to his work. He talked about steadfast love in Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. He's thinking now about his enemies and about the justice which is due to, to David uh, and that God will avenge him. So it helps to explain thinking about steadfast love, thinking about God's justice, I think it helps to explain, put into context, verses 9 to 11, uh, which we have here in Psalm 63. He's leaving it to God to avenge him. Uh, he, just, he doesn't force it himself. When he was being pursued by Saul, you remember, um, David's father's often said to him, Now, look, Saul's in your hand, you can kill him. <laughs> you know, he was asleep at his feet, he could have driven a spear through him. Uh, but time, time again, he said, No, uh, God will be my avenger, God will is the one who, who needs to take care of this justice. Not, we can't force it as, as, uh, as man. So he's leaving it to God to avenge him. He doesn't force it himself. And he remembers that God will care for him and that the wicked will go to the jackals. The jackals, or wolves, but prefer jackals because they're the final scavengers. Um, and so that's what he um, um, calls for. That's what he expects uh, for his enemies. Then he finishes. But the king that is him shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars shall be stopped. So we've seen, uh, and they happen to, to begin with B. So a bit of alliteration there. Um, God is his delight. So God is God is his desire. God is his delight, and God is his defence uh, in these uh, in these verses. And finally, just a word about uh, worship. Um, in verse 2, David talked about the sanctuary. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And he has a memory of the sanctuary uh, here in the wilderness when there's nothing else around him. And he reminds himself that um, the sanctuary or God's presence isn't a building. Uh, it doesn't depend upon that. It's a gathering of God's people. And it is to behold God's power and glory, to look for it. As we worship and as we think upon his word, as we think upon his acts and upon his character, uh, it is to look for God's power and glory. This is what, this is what our worship should be. So I hope, I hope that this uh, thirsting and feasting and this desiring and delighting in God will deepen our worship. And what better way than to be uh, encouraged to worship than to thank him again for the great gift of being found have been forgiven have been restored have been justified and to be accepted when we come in Christ